This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com. From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? This is uh, the Keep It Simple podcast. My name is Adam Morse. We have Joey Bonnier with us. Um, yeah, sure. Nailed it, dude. Um, I mean, uh, wow. As usual, we have Renee Dingman producing for us, uh, indisposable. So today we are going to, there's Harry the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah always got to include him. If you hear some barks in the background, he's not being tortured. He's just uh, being kept away from us, which to him might be tortured. But <laughs> at any rate, uh, we're back again today. We are going to wrap up the psychology of money review that we've been doing. Uh, we've got a couple of chapters left that we, we do want to, to cover. Uh, but in the meantime, we thought we'd kind of start off. A lot's been going on the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're recording this kind of on the heels of, um, I said on the heels, a couple of weeks after the Silicon Valley Bank um, events regional banking events that have been going on. So we've been getting obviously a lot of questions about that, a lot of questions as to, you know, how does that affect brokers like Schwab and Fidelity, kind of the big players in the space. So we thought we'd maybe take five, 10 minutes and just cover that briefly. Now, of course, this is a really um, involved topic. So Mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to cover everything here today. If you have questions, obviously, you're always welcome to email us, podcast at assetbuilder.com. But for those that are interested, Joey, let's just give them a a brief overview. Yeah. Couple weeks ago, obviously it came out Silicon Valley Bank, which you know, beginning of the year was ranked a top ten bank in the country by Forbes. Talk about market timing; nobody knows what the heck's going to happen. Um, Silicon Valley Bank had to basically declare bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just give us a high level view of why that is, and I can kind of dive into that. Some yeah, I hope I'm right here, um, but. Silicon Valley Bank, a lot of their depositors were venture capitalists that uh, their money ran dry from other um, people investing into their companies. And so they came coming, they came back to SVB asking for money uh, or on their deposits, which SVB had to bring to, uh, bring to them really basically or, or, or liquidate other assets in order to get to them. And, what banks do is they usually, that money's not always sitting in the bank. Uh, they usually take depositors' money and invest it in long term, very, very safe things, uh, but long term bonds um, where they can get a lot of interest return on that. It's called a bank spread. They couldn't liquidate their holdings fast enough in order to make, them make ends meet with the depositors. So um, they also had very flaky depositors. They had, uh, like I said, a lot of venture capitalists, which are not the most reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, that's what happened. Yep. Uh, they just didn't do a good job of um, planning out their investments. And when when there was a run on their bank, they got caught, I guess, is the best way to put it. And there's so, so, so many lessons for every investor to learn from this saga. Um, but a couple of key things that you said there. So one is, SDB is a bank. Okay, mm-hmm. so, and we're going to touch on Schwab momentarily, but effectively, all this occurred on, on the heels of rates going up so much over last year. So as we talked about on this podcast, and as you may know, when rates go up, bond prices fall. As you had mentioned, 
um, most of their depositors, a, a majority of them, were yeah. companies that had been funded by venture capitalists. So yeah. also as a result of rates going up, venture capital funding dried up. So basically the revenue stream that all these startups had in the form of venture capital funding dried up. So instead of depositing money more than they were withdrawing, they were now withdrawing money to operate their business more than they were depositing. Mm -hmm. So that really put Silicon Valley in kind of a squeeze because now they have well, I have to pay out money to depositors, right? They need their money out. Mm -hmm. But the investments that I have invested in to fund that withdrawal rate is not enough to meet that withdrawal request. So now they had a choice, right? We either have to borrow money from somewhere else or we have to sell these bonds at a loss, right? Before we and wanted a pretty, to. And a pretty substantial loss at that. Pretty substantial. Yeah. I think their their book value is... I think that the value deposits was like 208 billion. I think the book value of the bond portfolio is like 191 billion. So maybe like an 18 or 19 billion, which is, it's enough. You <laughs> no, don't have to be is, short yeah. by yeah, $1 exactly. to make yeah. people feel uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Um, and so essentially, was it their fault rates went up as quickly as, as they did? No. Was it their fault that they assumed rates would never go up? Yes. Did they do a poor job matching the duration of the bonds um, to their mapping out of the estimated withdrawal request rate? Yes. So they were not blameless here. Um, now, does that mean there's going to be a you know, countrywide, worldwide, regional banking crisis? My estimation is no. And I think time has probably borne that out. There's been a couple of niche banks that either because they did a really bad job on risk management or they have, you know, super kind of uh, specific client bases. Mm -hmm. That's going to that's gonna hurt them more specifically. But we know there's going to be collateral order rates go up that quickly. Um, I think the the more relevant question here is, you know, how does this affect someone like Schwab, right? Because we've seen Schwab's share price over the last month, I want to say it's down like 32%. Wow. So the question is, well, why is that? Um, the first thing we kind of need to explain is there's a big difference between a bank and a brokerage. Okay. Now, Charles Schwab does have a bank, right? But that's yeah. the bank arm. As an investor, like us as an RA, we don't work with the banking side, right? We're working with the brokerage side. And as a brokerage, there are very different regulations involved that dictate how customer deposits get handled. So we mentioned at a bank, that money flows to their, their balance sheet. At a, at a brokerage, that does not happen. So when you put $1,000 into a brokerage account and then invest into shares, those shares are actually custodied at a different bank. Right. So the person actually holding that money. Now, you'll never see this. You would never recognize this by guarantee. You read the fine print on your account statements. You'll see there's another institution that actually custodies those assets. And Schwab cannot touch those assets. They don't get to take those assets and invest them elsewhere. If you're invested, those shares are independent of Schwab. Mm -hmm. And that's important because it's not their asset, meaning if they were to become insolvent, Creditors cannot access your your money. It's, yeah. it's elsewhere. And I right? think it's one of the I think the video that we we watched, and we'll reference it here in a second, but yeah. um it was really interesting. Like Schwab has like seven point nine trillion dollars that they that they um manage or or have in their brokerage, but and their their balance sheet, it's like they only have four hundred and some billion dollars. And it's like, wait, where is where is all that money? You know? And it's like that's because again, they don't they themselves don't have it. They don't own it, right? That's it's right. Not and they can't to, control it. Yeah, there's not theirs to control. Yeah. Now, I, I think the broader question is, I mean, look, if if Schwab is insolvent, as you mentioned, they have $7 trillion of assets on their their exchange, right? Yeah. Meaning, in, in all the value of all the different shares of stuff on their platform, it's about $7 trillion. So if they, if they run into issues, chances are we have bigger problems. <laughs> um, so it's not to say the value of your holdings couldn't fall. Um, 
there, there's also something out there. So we're familiar with the concept of FDIC, which is the federal insurance on bank deposits, and it applies to $250,000 or less. Mm-hmm. And there's a conversation to be had about how to use that to your advantage. There's also something called SIPC insurance, which applies to brokerage accounts, but only on cash positions. And that's something that's really important to point out. So if you are if you put $1,000 into your brokerage account, if you never invest that 1000 depending on the type of cash position that you've elected to hold in that account, mm-hmm. good chance it's going to be covered by SIPC. If it's invested, if you put $1,000 in and then you go buy $1,000 worth of a Vanguard 500 fund, that is not covered, right? So if the value of those investments drops, it's not covered by that insurance. So first lesson is, Understand where you're banking, right? Do mm-hmm. a little bit of research. Maybe don't take for granted that, well, it's a bank. They've got you know a building there on the corner. I'm sure they're fine. Do a little bit of research. Do a little mm-hmm. bit of digging on where you're going to bank. When it comes to the brokerage side, do your research there as well, but also put a little time into making sure that you have elected the best cash option, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure that you have, there is something known as a cash sweep option, which varies from an actual cash or money market option. So educate yourself on these things. Um, but what we the point we really wanted to make was a brokerage is very, very different from a bank, okay? Mm-hmm. Institutions like Fidelity, like Schwab, not only are they massive, which does lend a certain level of, I think, inherent kind of stability and security mm-hmm. alone, uh, but they are just subject to a different set of regulations that yeah. banks are not. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the drop in, in Dallas Morning News had an article on this over the weekend, which I think has you know, generated a lot of questions, yeah. um, given that they're they're locally um, headquartered. But at the end of the day, um, you're going to have to invest somewhere and you're going to have mm-hmm. to take on some level of risk, right? Assuming that the entity that you're going to going to work on that the exchange you're going to be on is going to be going to be solvent. So mm-hmm. um, do your research. Don't panic. I, I Fundamentally, we don't see anything in the either regional banking system or the brokerage system, certainly as it relates to Schwab, that would indicate, you know, immediate panic, right? This looks to be from everything we can tell. And again, nothing we do as, as advisors relays, relies on our ability to be right on these things. But we do have brains. It is part of our job to be aware of what's going on. And from the data we have today, it certainly doesn't seem like there's an inherent you know, uh, weakness in the banking system, mm-hmm. similar to like maybe there was in 08. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm not really that afraid because Chase Bank basically bailed out the United States. Uh, <laughs> so like if Chase Bank is around, but the United States can't make it, like I think, right. I think Chase at least is fine, but... Yeah, and, and yeah, I think these yeah. are good questions to be asking, but I think it's always, you know, we got to remember in times like this, media loves events like this oh, because yeah. people tune in and they don't want to walk away because they're scared. Oh, right? this is, I mean, it feeds right into one, and not the, the first chapter we're going to review, but the uh, chapter 17, which we'll go over. And it's uh, where optimism sounds like a sales pitch and pessimism sounds like the most important thing you need to pay attention to. That's right. And that's what media gets. Yeah. It Oftentimes does, does pessimism does feel more true. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, they're willing to give me the hard news. Well, yeah. Because if, if optimism says you're going to be fine, yeah. well, then why do I care to pay attention anymore if I'm just going to be fine? Risk. I need to know exactly what's going on. Yep. Right. And I need to know why this is going to happen. So anyway, we'll get to that chapter 17, but first. Absolutely. And, and I'm sorry, I, is there I, any more? Well, yeah, just real quick yeah. as a resource. So one mm-hmm. of the videos that that I've been forwarding to to clients and folks asking around that I think does a really good job covering this. It's it's simple. It's about 16 minutes long. It's by a guy named Rob Berger. So R-O-B-B-E-R-G-E-R. That's mm-hmm. his, his handle on, that's the name of his account on YouTube. You can look him up. And he uh, published a video that's called What Happens to Our Investments if Schwab, Fidelity, or Vanguard Collapse. Mm-hmm. Go look at it. Uh, we'll try to get it in the show notes. Yeah. Go watch that video. It'll answer all the questions you have. Um, if you're like me, it'll make you feel a lot better. Yeah, um, it does. It 
he does a really good job of explaining it. Yeah. Very, very simple. I don't think you have to be a financial... You don't have to have a certain level of finances right. to understand it. Um, Absolutely. You can, you can just watch it and he'll he'll do a great job of explaining it. So. Yep. And then obviously, as always, if you've got questions, watch that and want to follow up, let us know. We're always happy to mm-hmm. happy to interact and, and point you in the right direction. Um, but with that, wanted to cover a little bit of that because it's been at the top of everyone's mind. Let's get back to uh, the finale of the uh, Psychology of Money review that we've been doing. Um, I believe we left off. We had just finished up chapter 15. Um, mm-hmm. So let's move on to chapter 16. It's titled You and Me. Why don't you start yeah. us off? Yeah. And this one, this one's really good. I think this is... Uh, what this chapter is about is basically saying, don't let your your moves that you make or your financial goals is to be dictated by anyone else, right? They're inside of the trading world, inside of the investing world. There are different goals that are being set. There are day traders, there are speculators, and there's investors. There's obviously probably more than that. Um, but what day traders are trying to do on a daily basis is very, very different than what a long-term investment investor is going to do, right? And the decision that they're going to make. And where things get dangerous is when long-term investors start taking cues from day traders and or short-term investors. I, just mm-hmm. want, I don't want to blame all day traders. They're not bad people. Um, but when you start Specu- taking... Speculators at large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you start taking cues from someone that's playing a different game, that's when you get hurt. Right. That's where um, that's how bubbles do the worst damage is at the peak of their bubble. Right. People that are playing the short term game are probably causing that bubble. And then long term investors get involved in it. And then that's when and then the bubble breaks. And then the long term investors are probably going to be hurt more. And so that's where bubbles do their damage. But that is because we didn't separate ourselves from someone else that's playing a different game. That's right. right? I mean, that's like with a meme stocks. That's a different game. That's Entirely. a game. That yeah. I don't want to I don't want to get into right now. But like that's a different game. Long-term investors don't take your don't take your advice from someone that's trading it tomorrow, you know? Uh, because you're going to be stuck holding something that is trash while oh, they yeah. got out a long time ago and you didn't realize it. So, and you know, you've used the word long-term and short-term a handful mm-hmm. of times there, yeah. right? And underpinning those concepts of long-term and short-term, they're hugely important because it's all about the concept of a time horizon, mm-hmm. right? And why? So, any advisor you work with, anybody in finance that you work with that manages money, they will talk incessantly about time horizons. Why? It's because time horizons are what dictate the reliance of the statistics that we can glean from history. Mm. So the more time we have, the more assured that we are, that we kind of have a good sense for what markets are going to do, at least the the direction they're going to go in. Mm -hmm. So I use this stat probably on a daily basis, but any five-year period in the market, right? Any five-year period, you have a 91% chance that five-year period is positive. So fundamentally, I would say, Relative to someone that's a speculator that's trying to win in the short term, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they have their reasons, but for whatever reason, maybe it's just a simple philosophical difference in how they view markets. But if they're trying to win in the short term, if you are not, if you're, if the decision you're making doesn't apply to anything, you know, inside of five years, stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like just move on. If the yeah. money that you're investing in the chain and the and the money that you're managing is for a use case that lies outside of five years. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have any more conversation. You don't need to spend any more thought on it. Continue along the path that you're on. Don't panic. Now, if you're inside five years, maybe three, maybe two, maybe one, okay. Analyze the decision, but always make sure you're making the decision for the right reason, which is your time horizon is changing. Mm -hmm. If your time horizon is not changing, assuming that you did a good job building a risk-adjusted portfolio based on that time horizon to begin with, don't compare yourself to someone else, right? Mm-hmm. And he talks about bubbles in this chapter. Like, 
That's how bubbles start, right? Is when people that are long-term investors, and I'll just use the word investors, people that are investors start reacting based on the behavior and decisions of speculators. Mm -hmm. They're not buying, they're not investing. They're not buying something to have the earnings associated with that thing. Yeah, that's where that's where it gets more like gambling than anything. Yeah, yeah. they're just betting that that thing is going to trade at a higher price tomorrow than it is today. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're right, maybe they're not. But whether it does or doesn't has no indication of the validity of that stock or yeah. that bond, whatever the thing yeah. is that you're investing in. So it's a really salient point because, you know, it's <laughs> it's underappreciated, but always know your time horizon. Like yeah. time horizon is everything. We talk about retirement planning with clients. Like, that's nothing but just manipulating time horizons. What's your time horizon to Social Security? What's your time horizon to retirement in general? What's mm-hmm. your time horizon to that annuity maturing? What's your everything, right? Mm-hmm. What's your time horizon on how long you think you're going to travel? Like it's literally just understanding time horizons and then overlaying them on top of each other to give you kind of where are the checkpoints along your life yeah. going to be and how do we build the investments to kind of match up to those checkpoints. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, this is kind of a callback to if you listen to the podcast all the way up until this point of getting the goalposts to stop moving, right? Yep. If you, yeah. That's, that, that's, those time horizons yeah. don't change. Yeah. If those, if you can keep those time horizons consistent, if you can get those goalposts to stop moving, you're going to be fine. And don't take cues from other people's goalposts, right? Don't try it. to change it based off what other people are doing necessarily. As long as you built a good plan. Like, I mean, if you built a trash yep. plan, that's when we got another problem. But there's a lot to be yeah. said there yeah. about FOMO and about yeah. the age of the internet and how hard that is to not yeah. take cues from other people. Because yeah. when, when you perceive that a thousand people are making change A and you're the only one sticking with, you know, the original plan, mm-hmm. it's it's hard, man. It's gonna test you, but you have to you have to remain steady. You have to remain steady. Yeah. All right, let's go to chapter 17, the seduction of pessimism. And that in and of itself Ooh. is exactly what, I mean, it's exactly what this is about. I mean, obviously he's going to name the chapter, but it is it is so true. Pessimism, like we want to hear that. I mean, if you watch the news, this is not to dog on the news or anything like that, but there's a reason why I kind of really stopped watching news because there's not a lot of happiness that they report. They just talk about really kind of, not all the time, but just sad things. But that's what draws people in, right? Yeah. Pessimism sounds so good. Like, I don't know why, but we just like to hear well, that the world's going to hell and we want to know in <laughs> yeah, case, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and how, what do we need to do in order to, in case the world is going to hell? But if, I mean, if the world's optimistic, like if, if there's optimism, like I said early in the podcast, all right, that's fine. I don't really need to listen anymore. Right. If you say that's good, I, I think you're trying to sell me something. Right. So yeah, I don't want to listen. <laughs> yeah. That I think more, it's, but there's something yeah, weird. Yeah, that is weird. Isn't it? That the human, I, maybe it's cause it just, like, when we hear bad news or pessimism, like it it triggers so many networks in our brain. Yeah. Even if they're like not, even if they don't make us feel good, we just like that feeling of like there are chemicals surging through my brain that kind of make me feel alive. And I just want to kind of dive into that. You wrote in your notes here something yeah. that, that stood out to me. And I don't know if this is a quote directly from the book or not. All of it, all of it's a direct but, quote from okay. the book. So it is give so him credit. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll give him credit then. One of the things he says is progress happens too slowly to notice, but setbacks happen too quickly to ignore, right? Yeah. So this idea that progress doesn't get our attention because that's the that's kind of the status quo. Like we're yeah. always, especially in America and over the last, let's say, let's say post-World War II, we've kind of been on this like consistent, just slow mm-hmm. increase in efficiency and life expectancy and health and mm-hmm. average income levels. Like everything is just getting better, but like slowly, like little, yeah. like day by day, just little, and we don't notice it. So- mm-hmm. If someone tells us things are get better, we 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 kind of just like you said, doesn't get our attention yeah. because that's just we've already assumed that that's built into our assumption mm-hmm. about about what it is to be a human in this day and age. But when bad things happen, man, they're splashy. 
Like, yeah. you know, 9-11 woke up and before we know it, these two buildings are on fire and our entire lives have changed overnight, yeah. right? Like it's, it, it grabs everything. COVID, the entire world shut down, right? Yeah. We, what's the opposite of the entire world shutting down? Everything continuing? Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. That, yeah. that doesn't feel as exciting yeah. as the world shutting down and I use the word exciting not in a positive way, but like attention grabbing. Yeah. Right. So I think we have to be aware of that. And I'll tell you who is aware of it is media organizations like oh, yeah. small, medium, big, doesn't matter what platform they're on. They traffic in negativity. They mm-hmm. have learned this about human nature and they will exploit it to yeah. the best of their ability. And we, it is something that we work against on a daily basis with clients because it does not arrive. It does not help you arrive at at the right rational decision, mm-hmm. right? And for one of the reasons, which well, I'm going to let you kind of expound on this, but you mentioned this earlier: threats incentivize solutions in equal magnitude, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. isn't that kind of the necessity beauty? drives uh, innovation? Thank you. Yeah, like, isn't that kind of the beauty of of capitalism in general? Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, again, not to have a political conversation. I'm sure there are negatives to capitalism, but <laughs> but in general, like people like we are literally incentivized to be able to say, Hey, here's a problem. Yeah. You will be rewarded if you can fix it. Yeah. So as problems arise, the same system that is kind of maybe those, those problems develop inside of like mm-hmm. also develops a solution to those problems. Right. Yeah. That can take some time. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. No. And I think one of the quotes is pessimists often exploit present trends without accounting for how markets adapt. Like mm. that's what markets are built on is built on innovation, right? Getting more efficient, getting better companies, growing and expanding. How many people, <laughs> everyone says like, I would be a millionaire if I would invest in Apple and it's uh, like first few days, right? Yep. Of course you would. Everyone would, but no one was going to invest in Apple when yep. they were in their first year or so. Um, but yeah, they, they don't like, they, they don't really plan for how markets are going to adapt, right? Like the thing, everything's down right now. Let's get out and let's, um, let's just save our money for what, like for what it is right now. And um, stop paying that, what we said last, what last podcast, like stop paying that fine. That's how they view it. Um, and get into a point where they feel safe and feel controlled. Uh, but again, they forget that markets adapt and people, we as a country, as a people, uh, I think as a human species, really, we adapt, we get better, we find ways to fix things. And like you said, it's the beauty of capitalism, right? Yep. Um, use live golf as an example, right? It's, for the first time, the PGA Tour got tested and guess what? They made it better exactly. <laughs> so that so that people would stay. Uh, and that's the beauty of capitalism. Um, Competition, yeah. Yeah. And so um, all I have to say, I, I, I think it's it's one thing you got to be careful with what's grabbing your ear. If pest, like be careful of listening too much to pesticism, pesticism, pessimism, pessimism. There we go. Uh, we got there. Just yeah. teamwork. <laughs> uh, but just be careful of it because... One, not all, it's, not all of it is true. And if it is true, it m- probably isn't as bad as they're making it sound. Yeah. So just be careful of that, right? Absolutely. Um, don't overreact. And if you have questions, please call us or your advisor, whoever you're with. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right, moving on. Chapter 18, second to last chapter. This is called When You'll Believe Anything. And this is like a really varied chapter. He, he talks about a lot of different things. It's almost hard. I mean, you could do an entire podcast on this because it's kind of hard to encapsulate this into a couple of bullet mm-hmm. points. But we're going to try. So he basically is trying to lay down the groundwork for the idea that the way that we think about the world and the way that we perceive the world to work is not nearly as uh, fully formed as even we realize. Mm-hmm. And our, our decision-making on the assumption that we understand how things work can really be 
like dangerous. Yeah. Oh yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Oh yeah. I think, like, I, if, is this the is this the kind of the, the line you're going off? Everyone has an incomplete view of the world, but we form a complete narrative to fill the gaps, and yeah. that can be dangerous. And, yeah. and absolutely. I mean, so hindsight, the ability to explain the past, gives us the illusion that the world is understandable, yeah. right? So. When we look back in history, it's like, well, that happened, and then that happened, and then that happened. Well, of course, like, of course, that it's almost like we assume those were the only outcomes. Like, yeah. of course, that was going to happen, and then we assume that because that was the chain of events, then that will be the likely chain of events now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it will, maybe we won't, but we have to at least acknowledge that bias that we are making assumptions that we don't really have a lot of data to support, right? And mm -hmm. and the, and the kind of the the flaw thing come with it is we don't build in, we don't leave ourselves room for error, right? Like mm -hmm. the prior chapter, like we yeah. don't leave ourselves that, that wiggle room to say, well, we think we have a good idea of what will happen, but we could be wrong. Yeah. Right. So this is the opposite side of that coin. Not leaving yourself room for error comes from this. Mm -hmm. It comes from the ability that you will construct a narrative in your brain, whether you have the data to do so or not, that, that leads to the outcome you want, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that kind of makes sense. Yeah. It kind of becomes an echo chamber of like, I'm only going to listen to things that gives proof to my story or what I want to be true. That's right. And that can be dangerous. Uh, That's right. I think people, and he hits on this a little bit, um, and it's it's one of those things of like, active money managing sounds way better than passive if you don't know the stats, right? But one stat here, 85% of active mutual funds underperform their benchmark over the 10 years ending in 2018. Yep. Which is nuts. Which so, is not good. AK and, and active, if yep. I think you're... Is this yeah, go ahead. Him? No, please. Uh, I just, active management means they're consistently trading inside of that fund. They're not really um, like kind of an, it's, it's a difference from an index fund where an index fund is kind of watches an index and just follows it and just doesn't really do a lot inside the fund. Yep. Um, at, at the funds that we use, we, they actively manage it, so to speak, but it's not on like a day-to-day -day basis. They're, yeah. they're going to pay attention to the indices that they're tracking and then reconstitute every quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Depends um, on the fund. Yeah, it depends on the fund. Uh, but it's not like a day-to-day -day making trades, chasing returns, nothing like that. They're nope. following indices. Yeah, I mean, and so it, the index is trying to capture market return. Yeah. Active is trying to beat market return. Yeah, yeah. And that's fundamentally what they're trying to do. And to your point, 85% of the funds over a 10-year period yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. Would you take medicine <laughs> if it had a 15% chance of curing you? And like, an 85 cents chance of not of doing heart, as good of, of not doing you. nothing. Yeah. yeah doing I mean, nothing, yeah. like you'd be net worse if you took the medicine 85% of the time, but net yeah. better 15% of the time. It's yeah. like, I probably wouldn't do that. Would yeah. you get on an airplane about a 15% chance of getting to it? No. Like any other world, this, this would have already crumbled. Yeah. This gets back to, you know, why do people do it? One is it's because the illusion that he's talking about, that that desire to want to construct a narrative that leads to the outcome you want is yeah. a very powerful. Like yep. it's a very hard thing. You can give people all the data in the world, but it's not always rational, right? Yep. It's it's yeah. emotional. In any other world, this would have already crumbled this approach, but because the industry has done such a good job of muddying the waters and making it complicated and you know you have to have 18 different disclosures just to invest in a fund and there's a 15 page long prospectus and a you know four page long tax sheet and a holding summary it's so darn complicated if you really want to drill down into it that most people just shrug their shoulders and go yeah yeah whatever just let's get in something you know yeah. and and it's it's really flawed it's really flawed <laughs> it is no it is i agree and it's it's sad because it hurts a lot of people but i think if you can understand this concept, right, that you are inherently a biased human being because you're a human being, mm -hmm. you have blind spots. Your might be different than mine, but we all have blind spots. So invest in something that is 
hopefully, or have a strategy that is hopefully going to account for where those blind spots might be mm-hmm. and, and won't crater if one of those blind spots kind of yeah, no, up. exactly. Like give yourself room for error. Don't be don't be so tied to that forecast that it is if it goes if the forecast isn't right that you are SOL'd, right? Yep. Like build in that room for error. It is so so important. All right, right? Joey. Chapter 19, the final chapter of the book. Bring us home. It's called All Together Now. Which is basically a summary of, of everything. But I think that's good. I mean, we've this is yeah, part yeah. four. We'll call it part three and a half. This is a shorter one. Yeah. Uh, but there's been a lot of talk, a lot of different topics. Let's let's encapsulate it for people. Like, what is this book fundamentally trying to get across? If you had a couple of bullet points you could give somebody that says, this is the takeaway. What would uh, it be? Yeah, okay. Um, I'll kind of kind of go off these top three ones yeah. that I wrote down is have more humility when you're approaching finances. Um, get out of your own way and have compassion when things go wrong. Um, and be very excited when things go right. Ha- like I said, have more humility when you're approaching those things. Have less ego. Less ego kind of usually means and usually leads to more wealth because you're not trying to spend your money, right? Spending your money is the quickest way to deplete your returns and manage your money in a way that helps you sleep at night, right? Mm. Don't go so um, risky that you can't sleep at night. Like yep. that's not that's not the point of investing. It's not to, um, in my opinion, it's not the point. The point is not to get a rush from investing, so to speak. It's not to uh, bet it all on black and hope it. Yeah. It lands. Um, yep. It's it's to build a good portfolio um, and be humble in your approach. I love it. So, yeah, I I, I would agree. I think that that humility piece is huge. Um, even if things are going well, yeah, right. Like, don't be that person that thinks, well, things went well because I did this, right? Like, I picked the right strategy, and then I'm just going to template that strategy over the next thirty years. Like, maybe it worked, and maybe some of it was because of you. But mm. last time I checked you weren't taking the, the credit for when things were going poorly, right? At least most people aren't. So yeah. that humility is key. I think that the fundamental thing that I would want to highlight from this entire book is your outcome relies much more on your behavior than it does either your income level or your portfolio. Yeah. Now, of course, we're in the business of building portfolios. So your portfolio does matter, right? There are some really big common things that people do wrong that mm-hmm. can harm you. But assuming you've done the base, assuming you're keeping your costs relatively under control, assuming you're diversified, assuming you have the right amount of risk involved, once you've done that, it is all about how you interface with those things. It's mm-hmm. all about what you control. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for people to wrap their head around and to really, truly understand. And it's hard, right? Because once you do that, we now carry that burden. We carry the responsibility mm-hmm. of the outcome, not the money manager, not the the stock picker, not not the portfolio, not the market at large, right? Once we stop blaming external sources, the only place left is the internal, right? It's us. Mm-hmm. But there's also great power that comes with that because that means you're in control. That mm-hmm. means you can do things differently to make your outcome better, right? Yeah. It's the little things we talked about. Save your money. Don't spend all your money. Don't panic. Increase your time horizon. If you can. If you can. Yeah. Maybe watch the news a little bit less, yeah. right? Go out for it. Or, or, or if you watch the news, take it with more of a grain of salt. Yeah, take it with more of a grain of salt. Yeah. Take care of your physical health, right? Yeah. That has a, your brain resides in your body. Yeah. Your brain is operating in this ecosystem that is your body. So if your body's unhealthy, your brain's going to be unhealthy. Yeah. Like all these little things have a massive impact. Be, be long-term oriented, mm-hmm. right? Give power to 
compound interest, right? Five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, doesn't matter. Worry about what you're controlling, Mm -hmm. right? Quit worrying about things you don't control. Now, you could argue, well, I can control whether I sell or buy these securities. Yeah, but you're not going to control the trend of the market, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to control what the ultimate return is of those securities in the future. So quit worrying so much about those things. Take responsibility for your own actions, even if they're small. And over time, that's the beauty of all this. Time is a massively powerful variable. So give power to that time by controlling those little things Mm -hmm. and you will have a good outcome or at least a much better outcome than average. Yeah. That that would be my thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things is you don't have to, like you said it earlier, like you don't have to have a doctor's salary to be wealthy, right? No. If you can, can increase your time horizons, be disciplined and live within your means, aka drop some of the ego a little bit. Um, don't be the guy in the fancy car. Yeah, don't, you don't have to be the guy in don't the fancy car. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll be fine. You should be in a good, a good position. I love it. Uh, so. Well, we said, I think on part one or maybe part two of this, but we do have a couple copies of the book um, that we are are going to be giving away. So if you'll do this, if you'll subscribe to the pod um, on either Apple or Spotify, if you'll comment and like it for us, leave a review um, and then shoot us an email at podcast at assetbuilder.com and let us know that you've done that. Uh, we will be happy to send you a, a copy of the book for free. I think we have five copies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be happy to do that. We appreciate you guys listening. We've enjoyed this. Hope it was useful to y'all. Um, We'll be back next week with uh, something different. Looking forward to what that is. Um, But in the meantime, I'm going to go check on my dog and make sure he's not being attacked by coyotes out there based on how he's barking. (laughs) Joey, appreciate you as always, man. This has been fun. Yeah, it's a good time. Renee, crushed it as always. Thank you for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. See you guys. All right. Bye. If you have any questions for Adam or Janet concerning this topic or anything else, please visit us at our home on the web, assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every episode.